Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 you go find your secret place your quiet place you shut the door behind you you shut the world out so you can hear god's voice speaking to you again so that your conscience can be renewed so that you really truly hear from the Lord. And then when you're in that place, here's where we get prayer wrong so often. So many of us go into our prayer closets and we shut the door and we might do a good job of blocking all of the chaos out and we pour our hearts out before the Lord and then we get up and we walk out before we wait to hear God's voice. What if you spent less time talking to God and you spent more time listening to God? How would your life change? To listen once again for that voice giving you direction to pause and to hear. So here's this internal motivator that we have to be in subjection to the government. But I want to point this out. Here's this space now. Whenever that conscience, whenever that voice of God, whenever what truth is from the scripture is being violated by the government or the government is asking you to violate the voice of God in your life, to violate your conscience, to violate what God's truth is in your life, that is the time when you can actually say, okay, this enough is enough. If I have to choose between being an American and being a child of God, I will choose a child of God every single time. When the government asks me to do something that violates God's voice in my spirit, that's where I draw the line. That's where I begin to object. We see this happen throughout scripture. In Daniel chapter 3, you can read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And a 90-foot statue is erected by Nebuchadnezzar. And when the band starts to play, Nebuchadnezzar says, Everyone bow down and worship this image that I've erected, this image that I've built up. And so the band begins to play. And everyone begins to bow down and to worship this image, except for these three young men, these three young Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what happens? Nebuchadnezzar comes to these young men and says, did you not hear the order? Did you not hear the decree? You're supposed to bow and to worship when the music begins to play. And they say, here's the deal. Our God that we serve is able to deliver us from your hand. And even if he does it, we will never bow to that image because we know idolatry is not right. We will not do what you're asking us to do because it violates the scripture. It violates God's voice in my spirit. I can't follow you that far. In Daniel chapter 6, Darius puts out this 
edict. And he says, anyone who prays to anyone other than to me, the king, who asks of anything other than to me, the king, that they'll be thrown in a den of lions. And so what does Daniel do? When he hears that this edict has been signed, he goes up to his room, he goes up to his home, he opens the window as he does every other day, and he prays towards Jerusalem so that everyone can see. Why? Because he's saying this, he's saying it doesn't matter to me if you tell me I can't pray, that violates God's voice in my spirit, and I will continue to pray. How about again those disciples? The church is just being birthed, the gospel is going out. Right, And they're taken and they're bound by those Jewish leaders and they say, you have to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they say, listen, whether it's right for us to obey God or man, you've got to decide, but we're going to obey the Lord in this. We are going to preach. And they do exactly what they were asked not to do. They ended up being beaten for it. See, in each of these cases, the objection was not for a political purpose. It was for a spiritual purpose. That's where we need to, as Christians, understand and draw the line. I'm not going to begin picketing and protesting over immigration or over financial reform or over entitlements or in, over health care. Why? Because that stuff is earthly. That's attached to the world. My heart is somewhere else. But if you tell me I can't preach in the name of Jesus, if you tell me I can't preach the truth, if you tell me I can't pray or gather together as a body, then that's where I draw the line. That violates God's voice in my spirit. That's why we began to meet again here in September. Because we cannot preach, listen to me, we cannot preach that it's important for the saints to gather together to encourage one another and so much more so as you see the day approaching. We cannot preach that and not live that. So why did we begin to meet? Because we knew that in our conscience, listen, listen, God is speaking to us saying the day of the Lord is approaching and as the day of the Lord is approaching, we need to gather together like never before. We need to encourage each other like never before. So I can't follow the government down that path. I'm going to have to do what God is telling me to do. I'm going to have to obey God's word. Do you see the difference here? So your obedience to the government is never definite. It's never absolute. It's always conditional upon what God's voice is speaking to you, what you know from God's word. Are we good there? Okay, because we have two more points and it's getting late. So again, look at this, verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, paid to them what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. Taxes in the Greek, that would be like your yearly taxes. And then revenues, revenues would be sales tax. Uh, Maybe some of you out there this morning are kind of encouraged. The taxes are not a new thing. I mean, Paul was paying taxes back in the day. Jesus himself said, let me see that coin. Oh, look, that coin. Whose picture's on that coin? That looks like that Caesar's picture on that coin. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I want your heart. Right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, pay the taxes because that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Your money has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. You're not going to take it when you enter into my presence. Render to Caesar what is Caesar, but give me what belongs to me. I want your heart. Right? So give those taxes to them. Give respect to whom respect is owed and give honor to whom honor is owed. To wrap this section up, 
this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, you know what? Be a good citizen. Be a good person. Do what you know is right. Follow along with what is happening unless it violates conscience, unless it's against what God is speaking to your spirit, unless you know it's absolutely forbidden by the scripture, then just don't cause problems. Why? Because it's more important that the gospel has power. It's more important that people know you for your faith than that they know you for your politics. Let me say that again. It's more important that people, the lost, identify you by your faith than that they identify you by your politics. Now, look at this next text here. How should we live? How should I run this race? What should that look like? Verse 8. We're going to see here the satisfaction of the law. If you're taking notes, the law is satisfied. Here Paul is going to say, quoting Jesus, quoting the Old Testament, Leviticus before that. He's going to quote and say, this is how the law is fulfilled. This is what satisfies the law. Verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another is fulfilled the law, completed the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment can be summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So this begins with, an upward love. How can you as a believer in Christ, if you have truly, honestly, experienced God's love, how can you not desire to give that love away? See, there's a response that is elicited in each of us because of this upward love, because of this love that God has showered upon us as his children. Literally, this is the way the scripture puts it in 1 John chapter 3 says this, this is out of the NIV version that I'm reading from. I'm not sure what will be on your screen, but this is what it says. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. When you truly understand that you are immersed in God's love, how can you not be driven and motivated and compelled to give that love to somebody else? When you're really truly receiving so much love, how can you desire to withhold that love from another. It's just not possible. And if you have trouble loving people here in the room this morning, I want you to just take a moment and to ask yourself, am I really truly enjoying God's love in my own life? Because if you really truly experience God's love, you'll have no problem giving that love away. We quote John 3:16 all the time, God so loved the world he gave. How did God prove his love? He sacrificed. That's how. He proved love. He didn't just say he loved us. He showed he loved us through sacrificing that which was most dear to him, his beloved son upon a cross. Paul, he was moved. He says, the life I now live, I'm going to live differently. Why? Because I now know this God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? There's a sacrifice in this love. And now when we have this love, this upward love, we experience this upward love. The response to this upward love is a move to an outward love. We give this love away. Again, what does Paul say here in Romans? He says, owe no one anything. Again, it's like I'm in debt to God because of this love. I've received this love and now I've got to give this love away. How can I receive so much and not give it away except to love each other? I love how Paul put this. Again, this is also in the NIV version. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, for Christ's love 
compels us. The word compels, it means to bind us. It means to control us. It's like, I am controlled. I am bound by God's love. I can't not continue to preach the gospel. I'm so bound by the love of God that I have no choice but to serve him with my life and to love people around me. I'm bound by God's love. Jesus would say, In John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love each other just as I have loved you, that you should love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. There's something that the world sees when we really truly show a genuine, sacrificial, agape, God-given love to one another. It's a testimony. It's a witness to people, to the lost, that there's something different happening in those people. You cannot store up You cannot trap this love. This is a kind of love that has to be given away. And here Paul says that when you start to love this way, you are fulfilling the law. Jesus said the same exact thing, right? What are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love your neighbor. And in these two commandments, all of the law hangs upon these two commandments. This is how Paul put it in Galatians chapter 5. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That means to complete And I want to just encourage you for a moment. If there are things that you've allowed into your lives that are making it difficult for you to love other people, you need to start cutting those things out of your life. Why do I say that? Because I truly and honestly believe this. If you have trouble loving other people that maybe are different than you or think differently than you or speak differently than you or look differently than you, if you have trouble giving love, you're going to have trouble truly receiving and understanding and perceiving God's love for you. And if there are things in your life that you've allowed to creep into your life that are choking out God's love in you, you've got to get rid of those things. Maybe it's a voice that you're listening to every day on the radio. Maybe it's something that you're tuning into on TV. And, you know, I'm not picking on one side or the other, right? But so much of what you hear in the news cycles is hate. And if you're filling yourself with hate all of the time like that, it's going to be very difficult for you to go out and to fulfill the law by loving other people. And how many of us have been guilty of this, that we stop loving because we are letting some other voice drown out the voice of God in our lives. So there's this outward love that needs to take place, but here, I want you to notice this. And let me preface this by saying I'm not like some sort of a self-help guru. I'm never going to have a book that says you should love yourself, okay? But there has to be some sort of an inward love that is at work here, and an upward love, an outward love, but an inward love. Why? Because Paul says that you have to love your neighbor as you love yourself to fulfill the law. And if you don't love yourself, you're never going to love your neighbor. You can't fulfill that law. Does that make sense to you? And now here's the thing. This is what I want to point out. Again, like this gets a lot of bad rap, I think, in Christian communities and Christian churches. Oh, no, it's not, you you know, to love yourself. You've got to love yourself before you can love anyone else. But you know what Paul said to the church in Ephesus in chapter 5? He said this. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and he cherishes it. Like we know how to care for our own bodies, and that's the way we should care for other people's bodies. Okay, you have to be in tune with that first. But here's what my worry is for maybe many of you here today. Is you're not able to love other people effectively because your view of yourself is so stained. And there's so much shame or guilt or regret in your life that you literally feel like you cannot even be loved by God. 
And that is not God's voice in your life. That is the voice of the enemy. And so what happens? This is the way this works out. This is the way this manifests in our lives. We begin to have unhealthy relationships with maybe alcohol. Why? Because we feel so badly about ourselves. We hate ourselves. And we have maybe a terrible relationship with some other drug or we get involved in pornography because we feel like we don't deserve any better. Or we get involved in maybe unhealthy relationships even with food or with spending money. You're addicted to Amazon or whatever it might be because you're trying to feel some void. You're trying to feel better because at your core, you hate yourself and you're trying to find a way to feel better. That's not from the Lord. Do you know what God's heart is for you? This is found in Romans chapter 5. Listen to this. And maybe if you hear nothing else, that person who's out there feeling that way this morning, I want you to hear this. Romans chapter 5, this is not my words, this is the word of the Lord. It says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous man. You might be able to find someone who will give up their life for a righteous person. You might be able to find somebody that's willing to sacrifice their life so that someone who's righteous and good would live. That's what Paul's saying. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. Verse 8, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what your worth is? Do you know what your value is? Do you know how God sees you? That even when you were at your worst, he was willing to die for you. You were worth dying for even at your worst. Again, it's not that you have to love yourself and some self-help thing, but you know what? You have to understand. You have to see yourself the way God sees you. And God sees you as someone valuable enough, worthwhile enough that he sent his son Jesus to a cross in your place. And if you can't come to terms with that, if that's not what you see when you look in the mirror, it's going to be very difficult for you to fulfill the law and to love outwardly if you haven't figured out that God's love for you is something that takes place inwardly. Do you follow me? So we have this idea here now of this satisfaction of the law. Your last point, if you're taking notes, is that salvation is near. And we've quoted this verse recently when we went through our year in review. And I love this text, and there's so much in this text, but let's read this together. We'll read it in its entirety, and then we'll come back and kind of try to wrap this up. And then you guys will go home thinking, man, Pastor Chris finished a whole chapter today, right? Look at verse 11. Besides this, Okay, besides the fact that you need to submit to the government, besides the fact that you got to love people to fulfill the law, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. Wake up, Christians. I don't know when the time is going to come, but I know that Jesus said this. He said that the time is near. He said that I need to be ready. He said no man knows the day or the hour, but make sure you're ready. Because the hour is coming. The hour is approaching. I love what James says. He says this in James 5, 8. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That word establish, it means to make your roots, to make firm. It means to make up your mind. Make up your mind, Christians, because Jesus is coming back. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know it's close. And here James says, you need to make up your minds. you got to stop dabbling in the things of the world. you got to stop being tethered to the world. And you need to make your roots grow somewhere deeper. You need to establish your hearts because the Lord is coming. You need to make up your mind because God is on his way. you got to stop playing with the things of the world. you got to let those things be in the past. And you need to run the race the right way. 
Look at that. Besides, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. First sub point there is, Christian, you need to awaken. The believer needs to awaken. Wake up from your sleep. When we have a child that's fussy, we hold them in our arms and we rock them to sleep. You know what? Many of you believers have been rocked to sleep by the world. You go to a hypnotist and they put a pocket watch in front of you and they swing it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until your eyes glaze over and they've got you. Some of you believers have been hypnotized by the world. Some of you can't feel a thing. You're so numb to the things of the Lord. Your conscience is seared. Your conscience is defiled. Your heart is hard and you're completely glossed over, glazed over and numb. You're sleeping and you're going to be found wanting when the Lord returns. You're going to be completely unprepared because he's on his way. Wake up, Christian. Stop being sleepy. Stop being numb. Come to your senses. I look at this. Besides, you know this, the time that is now, the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is near to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You got to make up your minds, Christian. Paul would say this to the church in Colossae. He would say, Jesus has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. But are you walking like you've truly been rescued from darkness today or are you not? You got to make up your mind. It's time for you to cast off the works of darkness and to put on some light. You need to brighten yourselves, Christian. Believer, you need to brighten yourself. Your last point. Listen to me carefully here. This is how Jesus described what it would be like in the last days. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, when men were eating and drinking and being given in marriage, so will it be when the coming of the Son of Man comes. People will just be going on with their lives. People will be distracted with these things, distracted by life, distracted by their finances or their investments or their careers or their school or their education or their hobbies or their children's sports activities or their entertainment. Men will be just engulfed and just tethered to the world. Their feet will be fixed here, planted upon the earth. They were warned. Noah was preaching righteousness. You need to repent because a rain is coming. You need to repent because a flood is coming. But they ignored it and they carried on with their lives. And then all of a sudden a flood came. And they were swept away in God's judgment. Christian, you need to wake up. I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but I can tell you it's on its way. It's time for you to make a decision. It's time for you to make a choice. And if you continue to clothe yourselves in the works of darkness, if you continue to try to live your life in the old man while pursuing the things of the kingdom, you're going to be frustrated. You know what you're like? You're like the runner who's trying to run the race with the weights on his feet. I think I can make it. I think I can do it. Yeah, I've got all of this baggage. Yeah, I've got all of this guilt. Yeah, I've got all of this shame. Yeah, I'm still dabbling in my sin, and I still feel like I can get away with my lust, and I can still get away with my addiction. No, you cannot. 
you will not make it to the finish line until you cut the weights off your ankles. You're trying to get there. You're trying to make it, but you haven't really made up your mind yet. Is Jesus worth running for or isn't he? No one can make this decision for you. You've got to make it all on your own. See, look at what Paul wraps this text up with in Romans chapter 13. Again, look at verse 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Verse 13, let us walk properly. As in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling, fighting and in jealousy. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify those desires. You cannot put on the Lord Jesus until you take off the old man. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977